I ordered a cup and saucer from the internet that were two different sizes. Okay, welcome to episode 15 of The Failure Show. I'm Ben Frank. And I'm hungover. Um, I'm Ida. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> You, you, you sometimes answer that answer that creatively. Yeah, like once I did. Yeah, I remember there's another time where uh, you, what did you say? Like I need I need, I need a shower. Uh, yeah, that's also true today. But so. you didn't but you didn't come directly from yoga this time, right? Or did you? No, no. Actually, I know I, you didn't. No, I, I, I no. We came from a meeting with my boss, uh, <laughs> which I should have showered for. Whatever. Um, I went to a go. I went to in Shanghai a very common thing. I went to a going away party last night. So. Ah. It's like an average Shanghai weekend. Right. right, for your boss's boyfriend, who was actually a guest of ours on this podcast. Oh, yeah. If you guys remember the white guy who wanted to be a rapper. Um... Jackson Green, episode two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, yeah. He uh, he is going, he got a job. So he's headed back to the UK. Yeah, good go. Good for him. Congrats. Follow-ups on, uh, see, we keep up with our guests. Yeah, we do. We see what's, see what's, going, what's going on in, uh, in their lives. Yeah, so, uh, so Ida and I had a, a meeting, both. Both of us had a meeting with her boss because it looks like I'm, I'm hiring Ben. Sort of. That's yeah, a stretch. As a, a freelancer, I'm gonna I'm gonna start live streaming with yeah. uh, with Ida's company, which I do a lot of. Um, yeah, Ben is a natural. He's uh, oh, stop it. Yeah, I mean, I know he has a face for radio, but he hey, <laughs> original no, jokes. He, all right, shove off. Um, no, he's gonna he's gonna do live streaming. Um, so this podcast will start having more of a China audience. Hi, yeah. China. Hi, China. Yes. Hello, China. We love you. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm super excited about that, and it'll give me it'll give me more chances to practice my Chinese because a lot the the live streams will be in Chinese. Yes, uh, that they are. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'm doing it because I did I, I did your live stream like a month ago, and it was super fun and enjoyable. Yeah. People at my company get really upset when we bring on new team members named Ben because my company has Ben in the name and they get very confused about like, is this person like working here because their name is Ben? And we're currently on our fourth Ben who's been involved in the company, but there's only like 15 people involved. So it's a high proportion of Ben's. This isn't actually the first time this has been an issue for me in employment because a a previous job I had, there had only been two other people before me that had had that job and they were both also named Ben. And I I think I almost didn't get the job because they were like, we cannot hire three Bens in a row. <laughs> I mean, I don't like, know. But this is going to look like really obvious favoritism in like the weirdest way. Yeah, I bought, I, you, I bought, I brought, woof, words are hard. I brought Ben onto the live stream and all of my fans were immediately like, oh, another Ben? Like, no. Yeah, like, I know. Sorry. Yeah, you because you warned me. You were like, I did. Oh, I you were like, oh, they're gonna be upset that your name is Ben, and I'm like, calm down, they're not gonna be upset. And literally, every person commenting was like, oh my god, there are too many Bens. What are you doing to us? This is terrible. Yeah, yeah I know. I'm like, okay, wow, they were really upset. You were. I know my. I know my fan base. You were a hundred percent right. Yeah, yeah, chi- yeah. Chinese angry mobs on the internet can be. They were bad. I do think it's funny though. It's like, just I, I never have that problem. Ida is not a name that other people have. No one is ever like, yeah, "Oh, you're the bad. fourth Ida we've hired." Usually, at best, I get like, "Oh my god, your name is Ida!" Like my great aunt's name is Ida. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, okay. I mean, I guess it's like it, it's good in that way that you don't you don't like get confused with people. Yeah. Normally, but that's. Yeah, so we have we have we have different we have different names on uh, on the spectrum. And that's the most interesting thing we're going to talk about today. Yeah, um, I really hope not. That would suck. <laughs> that's a, a slap in the face to our guest who is sitting right who is sitting right next to us. But uh, yeah. yeah, we've got a lot of exciting things to uh, talk about today. So uh, let's just get to it. Go right into fail or pass. Fail or pass. Okay. This is fail or pass the uh, the segment of the show where um, we talk about controversial stories in the news, but more importantly, where Ida gets really upset about things. Yep, that's what we do, and uh, use this opportunity, this segment, to uh, welcome our guest for the week, Beryl Chung. Hi guys. 
Welcome, Beryl. Welcome to The Failure Show. <laughs> Thanks. We're glad to have you. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I, do you want to go first or do you want me to go uh, first? I'll go. Um, <laughs> okay. So I have, I have a potentially mundane story that I think is fascinating. Um, so it's from the New York Times um, and Shocker. And Our only news source. <laughs> true. Uh, so the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, has filed a formal proposal to charge admission for out-of-state visitors, um, which is actually a pretty big change. So right now, the way that it works is there's a suggested entrance fee, um, but like if you can't pay the entrance fee, obviously you can still like go and see everything. Um, and it's in part right now supported by tax dollars. Um, so that's kind of how the Met gets their funding and like donations and things like that. Um, but what they're doing is they're, they filed to like change it to be where out of state visitors, um, will no it will no longer be a suggested admission fee. So they'll keep the suggested part for anyone who's like in state, but if you're an out of state visitor, then like the what is it like it's like twenty five dollars for admission. It's a suggested admission fee, mm-hmm. um, and that will become mandatory. Um, yeah, so it's like people. I think they've been, oh, sorry. No, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think they've been struggling um, in the past few years uh, with their finances. So they've taken on a couple of like really big um, development uh, projects for new wings and new departments and stuff, and. Uh, they haven't really had the um, influx of admission fees yeah. to kind of balance that out. Um, so, I mean, like, they've been, like, quite threatened with, like, brain- bankruptcy several times. Mm. Um, also, like, changed management uh, in the last, in, like, very yeah. recently. They, are, they have a $15 million deficit right now. Yeah. That sounds, like, sizable. Yeah, and I definitely yeah. feel like I personally have contributed to that many times by, like, glaring some intern in the face while handing over a dime for a ticket. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I am guilty of relying on, you know, like, out-of-state grandmas who come with their grandkids, you know. Yeah. Like, I just figure they're going to play. There's a, there's a lot of, like, backlash against it. There's people who say it's going to make the museum inaccessible. Like, the $25 is, for some people, like, a ton of money, and that would mean that they, like, couldn't do it. There's people that are like, yeah, but if they're traveling to New York, then they can afford it. Like... Yeah. Um, so the pass or fail on this one is for the Met. Um, <laughs> and was that, like, is that a fair way to go about coming up with income? Should they have found a different way? Should they have, like, made sure that for people who can't afford the 25 but, like, aren't New York residents that they can get in? Um, like, is there... So the suggested admission fee generated about $39 million in 2016, which is only 13% of the overall <laughs> revenue. A mandatory fee would be likely to generate tens of millions of dollars more a year. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the base there. So is it, a, is it within the Met's prerogative to say this is going to be a mandatory admission fee, and if that kicks out certain people from being able to visit, well, like, it's necessary for keeping us going. That's the pass or fail. I mean, what's the fee for MoMA? Like, what is their deal with the city? Because their, I mean, their admission is thirty dollars. It's also yeah. like kind of exorbitant. Um, I don't know. MoMA is doesn't come up in the article. Can we do a quick Google? Yeah. Let me, let me <laughs> yeah. see like MoMA. I mean, that's my initial view on this. Is that you know I haven't been to like that many museums in my life, but I've been to enough where I remember that I've paid admission at most of them. Like I, like, I know the Met specifically doesn't have one, and that sticks out in my mind, which means that I've gone to, like, you know, other museums that are prominent, and, like, they have good stuff in there, and that doesn't... <laughs> they got some good stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay. like, it doesn't come free, and, you, you know, you need upkeep, you like, you need people to maintain it, so it, it's somewhat unrealistic to think that everyone can get away with just not paying any money to mm. see these amazing works of art that are super rare and original and... Um, but it's tough when you raise the price from effectively nothing to $25. Sure, I think that's mostly what it is, like just resisting change in general. I mean, it's like a really venerable institution. I mean, it takes a lot to keep that running. And if the alternative is that, you know, they have to like shut it down, I mean, I'd rather just pay the $25. Yeah. 
I have an update on the MoMA for everyone who is actively <laughs> worried. This is fascinating. Oh. Oh. Um, so the MoMA is mandatory. Um, everyone has to pay. It's not suggested. Adults, it's twenty five, so okay. it's the same. It's okay. the same price. Um, students, it's fourteen. If you're under sixteen, it's free. Members, free. Guests of members, five dollars. Mm. So they have like a, a, a stratum. But what the MoMA does, and I think the Met also might maybe be planning on doing this. They have free Friday nights every Friday. <clears throat> so there is a chunk of time where if you can't afford the $25, you still would be able to go to the MoMA. Okay. And so like four to eight is free That's every cool. Friday. Um, it's sponsored by Uniqlo. Oh, nice. Weirdly, but accurately. Um, so they, they have... Yeah, it's like across the street from Uniqlo. Yeah, they have gym. Uniqlo free Friday nights. Um, so, Yeah. So I mean that so the Met would just be kind of jumping on the bandwagon of being a paid admission of just being another museum. Yeah, of just being another museum. It's a very controversial right. issue especially like in New York right now. People are very up in arms about it. But I'm going to give the Met a pass cuz I think if they're running in the red, it's more important to like keep the museum at least for now like sustainable than it is to like keep the policies something that makes everyone happy. Okay, I will. Uh, I'm gonna give them a pass as well. I think, yeah, keeping the museum going is the most important <laughs> thing. Um, well, I'm very biased because I hold great affection for that museum, having like grown up around there. Um, but I don't know. I mean, they do really interesting exhibits. Like this is something that I've was just talking about the other day with the Met Gala and stuff. Yeah. Um, like uh, pr- for previous like costume exhibitions, you know they had they installed mannequins with the clothes on like in the Rococo like uh, room exhibits that they had like in the upper floors. So it's not just contained to you know um, like one section of the museum. It's not like this like old dusty textbook. It's like they're trying to you know make it accessible and like make that history more alive for new people who are coming in. So so yeah. So I don't know. I really respect what they're doing. Um, and, uh, they deserve all the money. (laughs) Okay. All right. Three passes for the Met. Passes all around. Um, okay. Let's go to my story, which is also about a kind of a venerable institution in the U.S., a different one. Uh, this one is about Harvard. Okay. A different Uh, institution, but yeah. But, uh, I didn't say university or museum. (laughs) I said institution. Yeah. It wasn't deceptive. (laughs) Uniting. All right, hit me up. What's Um, up with Harvard? So apparently, Harvard has decided to get rid of uh, late fees on overdue books at their library. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And the article says people might assume that they're getting rid of these fees because the school just doesn't need money. Like they have like billions of dollars (laughs) in endowment. Like they just one might assume that. Yeah. But that is not the reason. Okay. The reason is. They are waiving the charge for overdue books because the practice is just too stressful for students. Like, okay, wait, like having a this ba- book okay. fee? The, basically, the students simply cannot and should not have to deal with the stress of overdue book fees. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Who, who, like, obviously Harvard is not just, like, one person. Like, Harvard decided, but, like, what's the managing board that decides this? Like, who put out that statement? So, so a a Harvard administrator uh, named Stephen Beardsley. Sure. That's how someone would be named, you would think. Um, he, he says, we have witnessed firsthand the stress that overdue fines can cause for students. <laughs> Eliminating standard overdue fines should help students focus on their scholarship rather than worrying about renewing library books every 28 days in order to avoid fines. Okay, I will just throw <laughs> out, at UVA, you could renew your library books online. So, like, it, it was, I'm not sure what their original policy at Harvard was, but I do, like, I did a bunch of, you know, I, I checked out a lot of library books. Like, I did a lot of research as an undergrad, so books were a big part Nerd. of it. I was a lit major, kind of, like, Chinese literature. And I could just go Whatever into brain. my... <laughs> I could just go into my account and, like, hit renew. And as long as no one else had a pending request for the book, 
I could just automatically re-up it online for like another month. And if somebody else had a pending request, then I would have to take the book back and like switch it out. But no one ever did because like, I don't know. It's, it's so just it's rare that that It's happens. rare that two people want the same book. <laughs> this, if, if, this, if, yeah, yeah, like the same obscure book. Like it's, it's not all that often that that happens. But I don't know. I mean, if, they, I, if that was a system in place and it's still too stressful to hit for so they Do they just not want the books back? Is that what it is? I mean, if you're not getting fine, why would you ever try and find that book? I, I have no, I have, I have no idea. What, I would steal books. I would yeah. definitely, right? yeah, I would you, steal yeah, all of the books. I would be very incentivized. Um, Usually I get very like aggravated when people say that our generation is so spoiled, but I mean, this is kind of an extreme case. It just kind of sounds like they want to protect their students from having to deal with any kind of repercussions to any actions. Like if you think that an overdue book fine is a real consequence. Like, you're going to really hate having a credit card. <laughs> well, and that's kind of like what this article talks a little bit about later on. Is just that, like, things you deal with in college, like, should kind of be practice for, like, dealing with bigger responsibilities in life. Yeah. And there are millions of things, as you're saying, that are way bigger, but are just, like, things you need to keep track of and be responsible for when you're an adult. And this is just, like, letting people off the hook. And also... In terms of not having like having to remember every twenty eight days, just like set a reminder on your phone, or, like on your calendar to renew your book or just, like, like to only return check it. out books when you're on your period or something, and then yeah. you like always are reminded. But that's always worked for so me. I, um. I remember though when I was little, getting a library card was a big deal because my mom made us get our own individual library cards when we were kids, and we weren't allowed to check out books like on hers. Because we would go to the library every so often and we had to be responsible for the books that were on our cards. So like if we spilled water on them or something, because library was a big deal when we were kids. If we like spilled water on a book, like we had, like that was on our card and we had to like use our money to pay for it and stuff. And if like we lost a book on a trip, like that was on us. So library cards was like how my mom taught us responsibility as like little kids like I was like 10 and I had my like library card and it was mm. important and yeah. I bought a lot of books as a kid <laughs> I did not learn the lesson well but like I mean, it, it didn't teach me anything but you know she tried yeah, it didn't teach me anything because now I would definitely if I was a Harvard student just steal all of the all of the books um, yeah. but yeah no it was maybe like, the reason is that the library is too full <laughs> the library. they're trying to clear the shelves a little bit trying to downsize you know the library is too full. Yeah, I. I, I can find all those Harry Potters, Harvard. <laughs> I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna fail it. All I am a. Yeah. I, <laughs> I am against things that are, especially for college students, that are done. Like I'm not against. There, I know there's a lot of like up and down and like this is coddling, but I do think like I benefited from like knowing how to use a credit card and stuff in college and like having to like pay my own rent, like real life things. And I think if library fines or a stressor like you are not gonna do well in the real world also in like yeah i'm gonna fail um them, also it's fun to say too. i'm gonna fail harvard I mean, yeah yeah i'm gonna fail harvard this. <laughs> it's not as if gonna... there isn't a way to avoid overdue fines the way to avoid it is just return it on time like be <laughs> an adult person and do what you're supposed to do yeah it's not like oh, like every kid is you know is imposed with this really stressful fine. Like that's garbage. I fail. fail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. failing you, Harvard. Yeah, I normally don't try, don't try to choose stories where I feel like it's going to be obvious what the answer is. But I thought this was just like a really strange. It's and, no, it's a and, weird thing. And interesting story that I wanted to wanted to talk about. But um, okay, so I guess <laughs> it was passes all around for the Met and fails all around for Harvard. Ha ha ha. We never agree that much. Yeah. It's weird. Take the money that you were going to spend on your overdue books and spend it at the Met. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring in the two stories together. Nice, nice call of Daryl. Thank you. All right. Well, that's been fail or pass. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next segment. Failure of the week. All right. So let's, uh, let's get started with our little small failures of the week. Yes. That Ida loves so much. I think they're important. They are. They're <laughs> integral to the fabric of this program. Yeah, well, I think it's important that it's not just like that you talk about failure in broad context as more than just like 
I had this one massive failure in my life. I think, you know, they happen all the time. Yeah. Do you want to start? Yeah. Um, mine is really sad and actually very stressful right now. Oh. Um, my bank card, I <laughs> left it at the ATM. Oh, no. Two weeks ago. And I uh, didn't realize it until two weeks later. And then I realized it simultaneously, it seems, as my bank realized it and kind of cut off my card. And now I have no access to my money. Um, right. Things are going really well. I'm going to maybe resolve the issue tomorrow. But right. my failure is being an idiot. So. Right. It, it, took, <laughs> it, it took you a while to realize it because you don't use cash. And a lot of people in China don't really use cash. Yeah. No, I don't use cash at all. So I, I did not realize that my bank card was missing because I only ever go to get pa like cash to pay our cleaning lady and I only do that like once a month and so when and also like so an ATM fact about China is that they don't spit your card back automatically like it's not a dip in dip out situation. Yeah, it's not a dip in dip out. You have to specifically press the button to get your card yes. back. Yes. And so like and if you forget, like you can really easily just like take your cash. In the states, I think you have to like take your card and then take your cash. Like it's much better so. like reminding you. other countries. Yeah. Much better reminding you. In China, it is very very easy to leave your ATM card in the ATM. Yeah, it's a point where I've like, done it like whenever I get cash, I like I don't know. Like, before I leave the ATM, I, like, stare at my wallet and, like, make sure that the card is in there. Yeah. So, like, there's nothing. I know there's not a card in there. Yeah. I obviously just, like, bombed at this. And also, all of my bank cards are blue. Like, they're just different shades of blue. So, if I just look at my wallet, I don't immediately notice, like, oh, the red card is missing or something. I'm like, oh, I have a bunch of blue cards in there. Like, this is probably fine. <laughs> um, so, Yeah. So that's my failure of uh, failure of this, and apparently the past two weeks, I just didn't realize I was failing at it until today. Which makes it even more of a failure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> cool. Yep. Uh, Beryl, what do you what do you have for us? I'm um, I'm quite embarrassed. Um, I guess I shouldn't be after after I <laughs> um, But it's more it's more of just like a, an inflated sense of self, maybe. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I, uh, so I work in advertising as an art director, um, which means that um, I'm like just above a designer. Uh, and I had an account person who needed me to um, do some final execution um, tasks on a landing page that I was working on. So mm. it was very basic stuff, just like you need to crop it in a size that uh, the the tech team can like drop into the website, right? Okay. I mean, it's very, very basic. It's not that hard. It doesn't take a really long time, but I was kind of inundated with a lot of tasks and I had, um, I didn't have like the 20 minutes or half an hour or whatever to spare doing this like very, very straightforward thing. So I was kind of like, listen, can we just find an intern who can do this? And she was like, oh yeah, I already talked to um, HR. They don't have anybody. It's like, okay, cool. Well, I'm absolutely frantic right now. Like, I can't do this. Um, I was so exacerbated that I was like, this is monkey work. And as soon as I left my mouth, I was like, oh, you're a horrible person. <laughs> like, you're just like, oh, I'm a senior art director now. I don't do that anymore. And that's like not, that's not the case at all. I was just like, I was just so frustrated because you don't need me. Like, you don't need my, you know, artistic expertise in yeah. order to crop these images. You know what mm. I mean? Like, if you gave me a warm body and Photoshop, I could teach them how to do it, you know? Yep. So I was quite frustrated. But then... Um, yeah, I was not proud of myself after that. Anyway, very embarrassing. Mm, yeah, mine, mine is also uh, work-related this this week. Yeah, because um, yeah, uh, you know, I've, I've talked about sometimes for the NBA, we're looking for these locations for these children's play zones. Yes. And so we often have to deal with landlords and, like, uh, real estate agencies, like, just kind of the same agencies that you would deal with to get a house, but we're looking for, like, spaces in a mall. Right. And they help us communicate with the landlords and things like that. And I just had, like, a really frustrating week trying to, like, talk with the agent and, like, get her to push the landlord in the way that we wanted, which was basically just get them to give us a counteroffer like on our rent proposal because they basically said with our last one they're like it's too low but then they wouldn't give us a counter offer they're like submit another offer and i'm like but you know the market in your mall and in your area way better than we do like 
tell us what's reasonable or yeah, what you want to say is reasonable. But then she just kept pushing back and was just like, well, okay, they're going to meet you in person next week. They'll tell you next week. I'm like, but if they know now, just tell us now so we can prepare for the meeting. That'll make it more efficient. And she's like, no, it will be more efficient if they just tell you that. I'm like, no, that's it. I'm like, <laughs> it's always better if you can move the negotiation along faster. And it just... And at first, like, because I was doing this in Chinese with her, I was like, maybe there's a language barrier. Maybe I'm not communicating clearly. But then I had one of my colleagues who was Chinese. We, like, did this together. And she was having just as much trouble, like, getting this person to do what we wanted. And it was just, like, it was just very frustrating. Mm. Mm. So that was that was my uh, my experience, my little, little failure of the week. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, those are a little, little, little small failures. Jobs are hard. <laughs> yeah, adulting, jobbing. Those are those are hard, hard things. But like, uh, Beryl, when you're not being inundated with monkey work that you don't have time to oh. do, like it's, I guess tell you said so you're an, you're an art director at an ad company. Yes. So kind of on a day to day basis, what kind of stuff are you normally doing? Uh, well, uh, kind of the best part of my job is that we get to do a variety of things. So it could be, um, it could be, I mean, doing digital stuff. That's, uh, kind of our focus. So sometimes it's landing pages, sometimes it's, um, mobile H5 sites, um, for campaigns. Uh, sometimes we do, um, video, sometimes we do, um, like, uh, more traditional, like print campaigns. So it's kind of everything across the board, um, which is pretty exciting. Cool. Yeah. Very, very nice. How, I mean, did you always know that you wanted to do something artistic and creative, like from a young age and like, if she nodded, <laughs> yeah. So every, yes, everyone listening, can you hear the nod? Yeah, mm. I mean, no, I was, I was not like you could hear the I wasn't nod. sure yeah. there's a, there's a follow up to that question. Oh no, 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 no. I do that too. I, like, mm. the last podcast, I think I gave like a thumbs up, which is like, <laughs> which is totally useless to anybody listening. So it's not like I haven't done that before. Well, I thought you were going to say something like, oh, were you always good at drawing or were you originally horrible at yeah. it? Or I Did know, you used to like, suck at your job? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I've always been interested in art from a very young age. I had a babysitter when I was about three and she could draw really, really well. And so she would just make things for me. And I always thought that was so cool that she could, mm. you know, make these really beautiful things out of the same crayons that I was using and mine didn't look like that, obviously. Um, so, uh, I, um, I was a really shy kid, if you can imagine, a million years ago. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, and drawing really helped me to kind of define who I was. Like, it really became an integral part of my identity. So even if I wasn't cool, if, even if I wasn't, like, um, even if I sometimes felt invisible, I mean, people sort of noticed in art class that, you know, I had this, like, ability. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, uh, I... Uh, you, I like to say my first illustration job was drawing Pokemon um, in Chinese <laughs> class on my uh, classmates' notebooks in exchange for vending machine money. Nice. Ooh. That, yeah. What Turning would you profit. get at the vending machine? Like, what, what were your go-to snacks? Oh, God. Combos. Mm. Uh, <laughs> oh, like, those are like the pretzels with the cheese With the cheese milk, inside? Right? Hell yeah. 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 And uh, Doritos. Um, I like, love Doritos. I do. I'm, not, I'm no longer allowed to bring Doritos <laughs> as a podcast snack. Because they are literally, like, the worst podcast snack <laughs> like, that you could think of. I, like, went, like, I, I used to try and be like, oh, like, well, it's snacks to the, well, like, have snacks to the podcast, which is a bad decision to Anyway, like it's like a really noisy <laughs> But I would be like, you know, like this week we'll have like grapes or something. And once I showed up with like an entire bag of Doritos, like a large bag, and Ben was just like, no, why would you think this is okay? Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, it's, it's the crunchiness, but also just like cheese dust <laughs> getting on like microphones and computers. It seemed like a good idea. Normally that's the appeal of them, but I guess not podcast friendly. No, yeah. not a podcast. It's like, Ida, what, what, uh, what's the worst choice that you could bring for your recording? Definitely Doritos. Anyway, great vending choice tonight. Yeah, no, combos. Doritos, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Um, but kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier with the Met, um, yeah. when I was in high school, since I went to public school, um, uh, there are a lot of like free programs offered to high school students in New York. Okay. Um, just like uh, resources 
to help you build your portfolio if you want to go into the arts or just like to supplement, you know, the lack of arts in your public school education. Right. Um, so one of the programs that I attended was at the Met, which was amazing. It was the first oil painting um, course that I'd ever done. And uh, it was really cool because um, to give you reference, they just take you upstairs. So you get to see like not only like these, you know, completed masterpieces, but they also have um, like sketches and underpaintings um, from these like ven like venerated like yeah. famous painters um so they'll show you like you know like you do a black and white painting just to get the values down and then after that you would add the color mm -hmm. right so they show you these and they're butter smooth i mean it's like flawless gradation then they take you downstairs they give you your materials and it do not look like that it's like <laughs> so intimidating you're just like what am i not doing it's like yeah why am i not a master yeah why oh, am I not immediately <laughs> as talented as that? So you you did like a bunch of programs in high school. Did you go to art school after that, like for university? Like I did. Um, I went to um, this the biggest math and science um, public high school in New York City. Okay. Um, and uh, that was my parents' requirement to allow me to go to a design school because they were like. If you're going to go to, no, 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 if you want to go to an arts school oh. for college, if you want to go to advanced kindergarten, as it's affectionately referred to in my family, nice. Uh, then you have to get like a decent education and do like this, you know, general knowledge, math and science stuff. Cool. So yeah, so after four years of that, that's how I really knew like I was not, I was not interested in that at all. And then like, that's when I started really committing to doing arts and design. Okay. So advanced kindergarten, that's lauded praise. Um, I still think my family thinks I speak Japanese, not Chinese. So like I kind of, yeah, I, I get it. Like they're not fully, they're not fully bought in oh, what yeah. it is that I do. I remember one time in college, my mom, um, my mom was making fruitcake for, for Christmas. And I mean, no one likes fruitcake. She was no. just making a ton of them to give away to people who will never eat it. But uh, she wanted to de decorate each of them individually with uh, like those um, candy cherries in different colors. Yeah. And she was like, Beryl, come come do this for me. Come decorate these. Uh, I was like, I don't know what you want. She's like, you know, do a wreath, do a Christmas tree, whatever. And I was like, Ma, I don't know how to decorate a fruitcake. She goes, I just paid for four years of art school for you <laughs> so that you can decorate these fruitcakes for me. Fair point, Ma. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, yeah I, guess, <laughs> I guess I'm the most qualified person to decorate. Yeah, that's fruitcake. true. It's like, well, then you should have sent me to pastry chef school. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have a BFA. It's a Bachelor of Fruitcake Art. Oh, nice. <laughs> so I have a, I have a question. Um, we have had a couple of other guests, people who are maybe interested in the arts or involved in, like, creative fields. And I feel like there's there's – something that you have that maybe the people that we have talked to in the past don't, um, which is like a sort of consistent thread. Like you liked drawing as a kid, you liked drawing in high school, you went to art school and you are now working um, as an artistic director. That to me seems like, oh, okay, you just like always knew and now you're doing it. Was that easy? Was that like, did you have moments where you were like, maybe this is not right? Like maybe this, like, or things that kind of made you question it? Cause yeah, like, absolutely. I feel like now looking at it, I'm like, wow, like, shit. <laughs> I don't know if I like, do anything I did when I was three. I don't even eat the same food. Like, right. It's just like 20 plus years of a seemingly consistent goal. Was, yeah. How was that? Um, when I was really young, like when I, uh, when I was just good at drawing, uh, kind of through grade school and middle school, um, I didn't think an artist was a job right um, until I met a family friend who had gone to Rhode Island School of Design and um, she went into um, like textile and fashion which is not something that I was ever into but um, sort of introduced me to just the concept of design so that you could have a profession like making stuff like creating stuff um, and then uh, as I said later on in high school um, I felt like kind of stifled, I guess, um, in this like rigorous academic program. And so uh, all these like free resources became available to me and I um, really like committed to it then. So another program that I went to was just introducing you to all the different jobs there are within design. So, I mean, it's not just drawing. Like, right. There's also, I mean, fashion design, obviously, but there's interior design, architecture, graphic design, um, like a million different things and so every week they would bring in a different profession uh like working professional 
who would kind of introduce you into what they do on a daily basis. So kind of um, like these things that you wouldn't imagine like that someone does his job like suddenly became, you know, um, apparent to me. Uh, and uh, yeah, I went to school. Um, I went to Parsons School of Design for college. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the Project Runway School. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, majored in illustration. Actually, a question that I get more now is, do I miss doing illustration now that I work in advertising? Mm-hmm. And um, what I like to say is that I use the same parts of my brain to mm-hmm. do it. <clears throat> so a lot of the same skills that I uh, that I learned from illustration I can apply to what I do now. So like, you know, just basic rules of like composition or, you know, like color theory mm-hmm. or um, even just like balancing typography, like all of those are similar skills to what you would do if you're if you're drawing or painting with your hands as opposed to setting yeah. um, type. So I'm going to do what I sometimes do on this podcast, uh, which is make it dark. But, yeah. <laughs> but like, so it, it does seem like for you there, there was, like, consistency. And, you know, like, illustration to now, like, that, that line is there. Like, you're, you're not, like... Oh, you want to talk about failures? Huh? Yeah, yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you... I'm going to kind of push you on it because, like, I feel like, you know, everybody has it. And sometimes it's hard. We, we've had people before where they're like, I never thought I failed. And then I asked people and they were like, mm. here's everything you failed at. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we had shot on And he talks about that. Oh, yeah. Um, I was hoping that I could just come on and talk about Sean's yeah, failures for um, two yeah, hours. But, <laughs> and we'd love that. But, yeah, so for you, like, what what were those, like, what have been the moments between, like, knowing when you were little, um, like, and I don't, I don't know, was there conflict with your family with, like, choosing Parsons? Um, have you ever questioned it? Was it tough to decide to go into mm-hmm. marketing instead of, like, leaving illustration behind? Yeah, um, gonna make you, totally. Gonna make you admit that it wasn't a perfect journey. It absolutely <laughs> was not. Uh, I can tell you about the first class I ever failed. I guess it's, like, one of the only classes I ever failed. Um... Uh, so before, um, before I graduated high school, I did several pre-college programs to kind of decide where I wanted to go. Um, so my two main choices were both East Coast on, in the mm-hmm. U.S., um, Parsons, uh, which is like kind of my dream from like running around Union Square as like a pre-hipster kid and like seeing all these like very glamorous uh, Parsons students in velvet blazers and like coming in from Williamsburg on the L train, just like that being the dream. Right. And then the other one was Rhode Island School of Design, which was like um, attached to Brown University. So you could take like real, real people classes yeah. <laughs> in addition. Uh, and uh, um, I did a summer there and uh, I never lived on a campus before. Like I never like lived in a suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly feel more comfortable camping like in the middle of the woods than I do living in the suburbs. It's so disorienting for me, honestly. It's just like a weird quiet. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, so uh, actually I failed their drawing test. Wow. So I feel like RISD kind of has this um, stigma towards commercial arts. Like they're very fine arts focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and even like, even in something like graphic design, which is like very commercial, like communication design, um, even that is like uh, fine arts leaning. Um, so uh, we kind of had like jokes for people who are doing different majors within this summer program. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, the architects, they were the Yeti because they were always working. Mm-hmm. So you never saw them. Yes. So, yeah. So it's like sort of the same sort of mythical beast. And then um, illustration kids were called the lepers. Cause like we we're like drawing for money. So we've like mm-hmm. totally sold out. So I was already like, okay, this isn't a great environment for me. Um, and uh, this drawing class was meant to like push the boundaries of what you feel a drawing could be. So it's mm-hmm. not just like, you know, pen on paper. It could also be like a conceptual piece or like a sculptural piece, like anything that's like a sketch or like a practice, um, whether it's made of stone or string or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of those things can be considered a drawing. Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily think that that's like, uh, like a lesson without value. Right. I think for some kids, it was probably like really enlightening. But for me, like, I, like, no, I don't know. I'm not, like, really, like, a tortured soul. Like, I didn't have, like, I don't know, a really 
I didn't have like any deep emotion that I felt like I had never expressed before. Right. I mean, I was still very, like, very innocent and very naive. And so I was just making, you know, pleated skirts out of duct tape. Like literally like that was my idea of like an art project. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So at the end, um, at the end of the program, we got these letters from the teacher kind of explaining the grade that we got. Again, it's like not applicable to anything. Right. Um, but yeah, I got a D. And, like, I couldn't look at it for a really long time, you know, because it's, like, very, like, Chinese-American overachiever mentality. Like, just if you pretend it's not there, then it didn't happen. And, yeah, and so uh, eventually when I did read it, it was basically, like, you know, we just felt like you didn't, you know, fulfill your potential and you didn't, like, really apply yourself, which is 100% true. I mean, like, I didn't know how to do that. So uh, that kind of sold for me. Like, I wasn't interested in, in doing art per se like I um, I kind of appreciate illustration because it's it's an image informed by other things like text and image like they give you different types of information so that when you put them together like the message is that much stronger mm -hmm. and then also I really appreciate kind of like the interaction with your client you know that it's not just like me serving myself it's like we're both working together to find something that is like really rewarding for both parties involved. Um, so yeah, that's something that I kind of discovered later on when I was um, doing freelance illustration, just kind of being locked in the studio all day. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you know, you like hang out with friends afterwards who have an office and they would be like, oh, I ran into so-and-so today and we talked about this. And it's like, cool, I've been chained to my desk for eight hours. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen sunlight. <laughs> um, yeah. So you got a D. I did. Yeah. Um, and was that like, did that prohibit you from going to RISD? Was like failing the program something that kind of like sent you in the direction of Parsons then? Uh, I think it was less that as the environment. So the fact that it was that uh, I felt a little bit ostracized because mm -hmm. of the field that I wanted to go into. And then also just being in Rhode Island. Yeah. I mean, I... You know, like uh, coming from New York, I uh, felt like pretty comfortable with, you know, a variety of cuisines. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. love a Taco Bell as much as the next person. <laughs> um, but really, like for that, like full period, I couldn't find rice. I couldn't find rice. I didn't think that was going to be important to me. But the only one that I, the only restaurant that I knew of at the time was the Pan Express in the mall. Mm -hmm. And they had Uncle Ben's, like, instant rice. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> like, I was like, I got to get so out I, I was the complete opposite of that. Like, I mean, I live in Shanghai now and, like, I do cities and stuff. But for me, I always felt very ostracized when I showed up somewhere and, like, people were in their velvet blazers. And I didn't see that as, like, the dream. I saw that as this, like, incredibly <laughs> unattainable, like, oh, my God, how will I ever fit into anything that looks like that? I remember the first time I went to the Met and I saw, like, probably, like, your, you know, like, program <laughs> happening. And I was like, these high schoolers, like, I'm never going to look like these people. I'm never going to, like fit in with these people mm -hmm. so it was like the flip of that I, mean, I feel very comfortable in the suburbs <laughs> uh, wouldn't yeah. want to ever live there I, no totally like, yeah. I totally I totally like identify with that I mean I think another major failure was just like when I entered uh Parsons um like I tried to like totally reinvent myself so I felt like oh like in high school I was not that cool mm -hmm. so then when I got to Parsons I just like pretended to be that person all of a sudden so like I chopped off all my hair and then I like had a new wardrobe of like all vintage stuff yep. and it's still like oh you get there and you realize like number one I mean competing is futile because <laughs> because you have like Project Runway girls who like want to go to the Project Runway school who show up to like you know like use charcoal the entire day in heels I mean it just doesn't you know you can't you can't you can't compete, compete with that um uh and uh I mean kind of in response in like my last few years of school I just had a uniform so I really wouldn't wear anything except white t-shirt and black pants because I was just like if I'm not viable in this then I'm just gonna remove myself from it altogether huh yeah so how did that I mean how has that evolved because I know you in the context of Shanghai which is like, I think of barrel, barrel as like 
reasonably fashionable and always has really cool hair um and that's like I but like for me like I'm like I think I grew into like jeans and t-shirts and finally just being like oh like okay like I'm in jeans and t-shirts and like sometimes I dress it up with like nice jeans mm-hmm. and nice t-shirts <laughs> like um, I don't brag okay yeah. <laughs> I own some nice t-shirts all right and this is my go yeah this is my this I danced in this t-shirt. No, like, um, but, but so you went to, like, you've obviously changed out of the uniform of, like, black jeans, right? Your black pants, white mm-hmm. shirts. Like, what was that like? Like, did you, did you, was leaving college the space to do that? Uh-huh. Like, are you comfortable now with, like, are you like, oh, this is who I am? Or is that something that's, like, just evolved since? It's, I mean, it's evolved quite a bit. I think um, when I look back on it now, like, when I see pictures of myself from kind of that period, like, I can see how self-conscious I was. Like, mm-hmm. I can see how um, uncomfortable I was, like, with myself and, like, my body and my identity. I just like I feel like I look at those and I can see that like I really hated me trying to be this person mm. at that time um, and so I think like kind of consciously like I work to like overcome those things so like I said I used to be like really shy uh, I used to be like really quiet and then like had to train myself into being a more well-adjusted person. I'm sorry, is that getting like really introspective? No, no, I think like, I mean that, but so for you, when you were really shy, like obviously like some people go their whole lives being really shy and like being really introverted and I think that's totally fine, but like for you, that was something that you wanted to change. A lot of shy introverted people just like embrace it and they're like, this is just who I am, I'm gonna just be a shy person and like that's fine. But it seems like you felt like that wasn't like who you should be. Was that hard? Uh, yeah, I, it kind of started um, when I studied abroad. Um, so for my junior year of college, I did a semester in Tokyo mm. and it was eye-opening in many ways. So first of all, I mean like Japan is so fun and particularly for design, like it's like, you know, it's Japan. It's yeah. Japan. I mean, it's like so, it's like so over the top incredible. So. Um, I was like so excited to be there and in terms of like fashion and also like my own aesthetic like in my work um, it just pushed me to experiment more and more and more Mm -hmm. Um, and then also uh, socially I mean um, I went with my best friend and she lived next door to me in the same building Um, and then like it was sort of my first dorm experience where you know like your best friend lives down the hall and you guys all hang out together and then you just go to the common space and like it's like summer camp for grown-ups yeah um uh and i had not i mean like parsons doesn't really have a campus um in new york city it's just like a few blocks around um midtown and union square uh so yeah uh it was really really hard for me actually to come from that returning to new york Oh. So I, I spent my senior year of college, like, struggling, honestly, just because, like, um, for one thing, like, I was, you know, very, uh, what's the word, I guess, like, I was, like, stuck in this, like, in reminiscing about Tokyo and what an yeah. amazing time it was and how, like, this was not that. And then I wasn't particularly inspired by my peers, but they were developing a lot faster than me because, like, they were putting energy in, um and themselves into um, into their work. And I guess like that's prime time for you to start networking with your teachers and like really making connections mm-hmm. for business. And like, I was so like stuck in my head and um, kind of defeated about it that like I really missed out on a lot of those things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's tough because when you, uh, you may have felt the same way, but at least I felt when I studied abroad for a semester that uh, when you were gone, that time kind of stood still. In, in, in a sense that like you you came back and you kind of felt like what you what you lived out in Asia for that semester was almost not a part of reality it was almost like a, a you were dreaming for a few months and then you went back to the same reality that had kind of been put on pause in New York that you've mm-hmm. been living for 20 yeah. years so New York is the same but I felt very different right and, and just kind of like this other thing had happened. I have memories of it, but now I'm living in this other reality where it seems like what I was doing for the past four months doesn't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I feel much differently about the reality I'm living in now. 
another thing that happened after I graduated was that I stopped getting satisfaction from drawing. Um, like it just like associated to me like doing classwork and like um, like being uninspired and like just doing it to satisfy like an assignment yeah. as opposed to doing it because it was like creatively fulfilling to me in any way. Yeah. Um, and uh, I also developed like kind of this like blank page anxiety where it was like why even start because nothing you do is going to be as good or like as perfect as it needs to be mm. and like I've waited so long like <laughs> like if I do it now and it's not perfect then what's the point you know like this one piece has to like save my entire life um so uh for that period of time like I started bartending and waitressing mm. um just kind of like pay the bills while I was like sending out um you know promotional postcards for my illustration work and um yeah I mean kind of in that time like that was my that was my like public speaking, like yeah. human interaction <laughs> training. Um, it was kind of jarring because uh, it was like right after um, right after college, like somebody flipped the switch and then I was supposed to be this like cute girl. So like I never had to deal with that before. And then, you know, when you're kind of like in your uniform and you're standing in whatever, yeah. that's your job is to, you know, get people to like you so that yeah. they give you tips right yeah. <laughs> to be likable effects <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah exactly um so uh so yeah i mean i would say like one of my greatest failures in life is being a terrible bartender yeah yeah can you not yep. mix drinks or can you not talk to people <laughs> um i got pretty good at talking things. to people um i wasn't that good at like like mixing drinks like the physicality of it like doing it fast enough for mm. like um for you know like really like giant crowds of people mm -hmm. and then I also was not good at um <laughs> like making up recipes um oh. like the balance of it and like the details of it oh, was yeah. something that like didn't come natural to, naturally to me but um yeah I'm super thankful that I wasn't a good bartender because then I wouldn't have gone back to design <laughs> So, so I guess that that's the natural follow-up question is you said that you kind of lost the satisfaction that you got from drawing and just doing art in general. How did you get that back? How did I get that back? Uh, well, again, a super long process. I mean, it's like, you know, it's again, like a constantly evolving thing. Um, uh, so as I was doing um, bartending and waitressing, you know how like when you go to kind of a key interview, like, even before you talk to them, like, even before you know whether or not you've gotten it, you sort of, like, build this entire life for yourself. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like, when you have a first date and you're like, Yes! Okay, so, what would my life be like if I married this person? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We name our kids this, but then I'd probably fight with his mom. And then right. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I right. do that with, like, any small decision. I'll be like, hmm, what will the rest of my life be like if I make this choice? Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah, so while I, was, while I was bartending, you know, I met a lot of people who were, like, in bartending unions and, like, uh, became alcohol uh, reps for, like, big brands. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they travel the world, like, teaching people how to make cocktails. And they get hosted by chefs and eat incredible food, like, calm, totally yep. calm. It's like, that's, like, an amazing lifestyle, you know. And so, so that was something that I sort of, like, imagined myself in um, for a while. And, uh, um it got to the point where I was just like, where I was just like, is that really what you want to do? So um, kind of during that time, my mom was um, volunteering in Chinatown and heard about the scholarship through Confucius Institute. Mm -hmm. um, and so I started um, like really uh, seriously studying for HSK in order, just in order to achieve this scholarship to live in China for a year, full expenses paid. Yeah, what level of the, HSK were you HSK studying is the, for? the Chinese language level exam for, oh, people, thank you. for, for people who don't know. Who are and it's on a one <laughs> to six level. Each level is like exponentially harder and exponentially more words in the next. So at this point, what level were you studying for? Yeah, six is the highest. Well, I was starting from zero. Okay. Um, so I'm Chinese American, but like my family doesn't speak Chinese at all at home. And so I never picked it up. And it's sort of, been, it was always something that I thought like, oh, when you're older, like you'll maybe like you'll pick it up. Like it was something that I was always interested in doing, but um, sort of never had the opportunity. So I thought like, listen, like you hate your job now. Like if you're just going to knock around, you could do that in any country in the world. So yeah. why not do it in China while you're getting paid to study Chinese? So um, I did my HSK three. Okay. Um, and, uh, during that period, um, like I was like a couple months out from, from like applying for it mm -hmm. and, uh, the, um, 
the head of the school discovered that there was like a minimum requirement for the hours that you had to have and whether or not I'd be able to fulfill that in the time before, you know, September when I would need to go mm-hmm. and um, told me that it might disqualify me from going. And I remember like, uh, uh, like calling Sean and just like going out to meet him like on his lunch break in the West Village and just like sobbing, just sobbing outside. It's like sitting in a park in the West Village. <laughs> like that, like all of my plans had totally fallen through and I was gonna be stuck in New York, you know, being a cocktail waitress for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, side, side story. Uh, right after that happened, he was like, are you gonna be okay? And then I kind of stumbled my way back to the subway. And um, as I was walking there, I saw um, Amy Poehler walk by with a couple of her gay friends. And I was like, it's my spirit animal. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. I think Amy wow. Poehler should be everyone's spirit animal. So thank you, Amy Poehler. <laughs> it j- just her walking by, that was enough. Yeah. I was like, the universe is telling me that, like, I'm going to be all right. Like, That's amazing. Yeah. You got to look for signs sometimes, like, wherever you can find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so you, you actually you ended, up, so you ended up coming here through the, through the Confucius uh, Institute and how long did you do that program for? Or? I did it for a full year, so two semesters, and in that time passed HSK five. Nice. Um, I like I really pushed myself to do it, and then at the end of the year, I really felt like I hadn't accomplished everything I wanted to in China. So I signed up for another program in Shanghai, and then from there I got an internship. From the internship, got a job, and then several jobs later, um, yeah. It's a very average Shanghai. Like, you're like, I like felt like I was going to be in Shanghai for a bit, and then now I've been in Shanghai for a really long time. Yeah, and that was five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> right, and just like, oh, I, yeah, I came here to do, yeah, I came here to do an internship, and now I'm an artistic director. Like, it's just, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, yeah, it's just, a so, lot, I hear a lot of those type of stories. Yeah, so, so you've been here for a while, and it feels like, you know, like, from just just knowing you for the the small amount of knowing you that I do, it feels like you're like probably a very different person than you were when you were like extremely self conscious or like very very introverted. For you now, like where you are in life now, how do you view failure? Like how do you view like you know like obviously it's really easy to look back on things like getting a D and be like, oh it led me to where I am now. And like for me, I always look at failure and I'm like, well if I hadn't had that, then I wouldn't be here. Yeah, it's absolutely. it's like it's and it can be like a really good thing. But then how do you view like the net? You know, you're never done failing. So like, what's your what's your take on it now? Like, uh. Because I'm horrified of failure <laughs> still. I've never gotten comfortable with it. I always pitch it as like, you know, I, you learn from your failure and nothing's a mistake if you learn from it. And I love to say that, but then, you know, I look at the next thing that I might fail at with like sheer terror and horror. So mm-hmm. I never got good at that. Yeah. Um, but like for you, what, what do you kind of, how do you feel about it now? Well, first of all, I feel like the outlook that I've, um, that I've developed in order to combat my self-consciousness is if I feel 100% genuine about what I'm doing, then I have no reason to feel nervous about it. Mm. I have no reason to feel guilt or shame if I am 100% um, authentic with whatever reaction I had. Um, So yeah, so like if there's like a piece of, you know, if it's like there's a piece of clothing that I feel 100% 100% makes you feel confident, mm-hmm. then I don't care if you like it or not. It doesn't matter to me, you know? Same thing with my art. Like, if I make something and I had a great time doing it and I think it's super fun or funny, then if you don't like it, that's okay. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to please every single person. I know that, like, there is an audience for it. Like, mm-hmm. there is someone who will um, who will appreciate it. So, um so very similarly, I think you've noticed by now, like I'm introspective, definitely to a fault, like sometimes dangerously so. And uh, it's something that like I used to really torture myself about, you know, like, like should I have even gone to art school? I mean, like I, uh, I could have like tried to do the Ivy League thing. I could have tried to like go to med school and like mm-hmm. be a normal person. Um, and uh you know, like tracking it all the way back. Like, should I have gone to this math and science high school? Like, should I have gone to this middle right, school? Yeah. What should I have done? And then um, I was talking to my mom about like some of those regrets. And she was like, you know, if you got into that school, we're going to make you go, right? And like right there, I was just like, 
it's out of my hands, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like all of those failures really prepared me for the decisions that I have made so far, and I, you know, I'm really enjoying my life now. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, very much so, like, if I hadn't, you know, if I hadn't been, like, miserable my last year in school, like, if I hadn't, like, you know, um, done that bartending stuff, then I wouldn't have had, like, the confidence um, to connect with people enough to, like, get this scholarship mm -hmm. and, like, take that leap and, yeah, I, I, I see it more of, like, not like, oh, I had to learn from them. I see it more of, like, as, like, a pivot, mm -hmm. you know? I feel like I was much better prepared to do the things that I was, like, really meant to do. Yeah, well, that's 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 awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for being on the show, Beryl. This was this was fantastic. You were Thanks, uh, an amazing, yeah, this is fun. amazing guest. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I didn't uh, fail at this. <laughs> well, you if you fail, you can't fail, fail, pass or fail, pass or fail. You can't fail at the failure show. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't I know. hope that's too meta. I don't know if I can wrap my head around that. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's been the failure show. Until next time.